Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. So today we are going to continue the discussion that we were having on fat loss. So we had a part one of fat loss really broke down how the science of fat loss is actually pretty simple, right? Get into an energy deficit. So when you are looking at energy balance, energy in and energy out on this scale, if we can just tip it so that we are having more energy out than energy in, then you are going to start losing body fat. Now, with that discussion, we also talked about how there are no such things as magic diets. So a lot of times diets will be portrayed to the general public like they somehow work magically apart from this energy deficit or calorie deficit, and they don't, period. End of story. Okay, let that sink deep into your soul if you have not already. And so what's great about that is if we know that all dieting types really do work off of the same mechanism that it merely just gets you into a calorie deficit, then that in and of itself is so liberating because then we just choose the diet that sucks the least for us, right? Because dieting, dieting sucks, guys. I, nobody really, really enjoys getting into a calorie deficit. I mean, yes, I enjoy the outcome. I enjoy feeling and looking leaner. I enjoy peeling back um, the layers so that we can see like the muscle that I've really uh, worked hard to develop. But so that part's great. That part is fun. But the actual get into a calorie deficit, track what you're eating. I'm like, oh, it's hard. It's hard for us all. Now, if you want a diet to be the hardest possible and with low chances of success, high chances of binging, then I have one piece of advice for you. If, that, if that's what you're going for, then just focus on how hard the diet is. Like, that's it. You, you focus on how hard the diet is every day and how you can't eat as much as you want to and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, oh yeah, like that's good job. You are setting yourself up for a miserable time and more than likely you're not going to hit your goals. So a lot of times it's actually not the situation in life or what we are experiencing. It's how we are experiencing it that makes all the difference, right? So it can be, oh yeah, there's tension, there's difficulty, but I'm, I'm choosing this and I'm excited for the outcome and I'm going to work hard. Or there's that way to think about it. Or there's the, oh, this is just miserable. I just hate that. And first off, nobody wants to be around somebody like that. It's miserable being around that. So imagine like it's miserable being around yourself. Um, if we don't want to lose relationships during a calorie deficit, so keep other people in mind. But if you choose to stay positive throughout the the diet, it really does. It, there's, it is so much easier because you are actually choosing positive, happy thoughts that actually create an easier environment. It's, a, it's the mind and the power of the mind is amazing. When it comes to dieting, there really is, there. there's the science, there's the um, physiology, uh, what's going on in the body, and there is the mental game. And both of them are really, really important. We are not going to be talking after I've rambled now for like three minutes about the mental game. 
We're actually not going to be focusing on that or talking about that today. We are going to be pretty much talking about the science. Like part one, we learned that there's no special diets, that they all work the same way. And so just choose the one that sucks the least for you. Um, I also put another qualifier in there for how I choose a diet approach with myself or a client is I believe that there has to be learning involved because we have to learn to thrive in the food culture and environment that we find ourselves in. And I am in a food environment in not just my home, but around like extended family parties, eating out where there are carbs. So for me personally, just cutting out carbs, I would rather learn how to thrive utilizing them wisely versus just cutting them out completely. And it may be a tactic of ease. It makes it a little easier during the cut, but it's not a tactic of real sustainability. And so if we can learn how to use protein, carbs, fats, all of which are great and none should be demonized, if we learn how to use them wisely during our cut, during reverse, makes it a whole lot easier in maintenance to use them, to continue using them wisely and to maintain the fat loss that we got. Because it's not about just losing 10 to 15 pounds. There are people who have lost 10 to 15 pounds 15 20 times. It's not about that, right? It's about maintaining it once we've lost it. That's that's absolutely key. Now, obviously, when we talk about those, we're talking about healthy body fat percentages. Some people do go to an extreme where they get to a point where their body fat percentage is too low. And although it may be okay for a month or so, it's not sustainable and it's not where they their body and their mind thrive. So obviously, we are talking about healthy body fat percentages here. Now, with that being said, there's one other thing I want to talk about that we already, that very, very quickly that we addressed in part one, and that's the idea of, well, I'm eating healthy, I'm working out, therefore I should lose weight, and I don't need a track if I just quote unquote eat healthy. And I think anybody who's tried that approach, it can work really, really great for those that are overweight moving towards, you know, being in a healthy body fat percentage, even a higher healthy body fat percentage moving a little bit more towards the the middle ground, it can really work, but the, they themselves will notice if they want to keep driving things down that it only works to a certain point. So their mindfulness around food initially may have helped and then they may hit a plateau and they don't understand why they're quote unquote eating healthy. They are working out. But in part one, we really talked about the fact that uh, as soon as we, when we're looking at that energy balance, that scale, as soon as we start manipulating one side to get into this energy deficit, the body behind the scenes, we don't even realize it, starts manipulating things to kind of bring us back closer to maintenance. And so just quote unquote eating healthy, well, if if the body's sending more hunger cues, you can eat healthy and land around maintenance. You can still overeat in nuts and fats and avocados and all these great, healthy, wonderful foods. We can still, and I shouldn't say overeat, but I do mean we can land close to maintenance. And so sometimes people realize that like at first there was some great benefits and then now they're realizing that they have plateaued 
and they wonder where they should go from there. And that's where part one really ended with was, okay, more cognitive oversight over energy out and energy in needs to happen. And I would say honest cognitive oversight because a lot of people will get a plan that says, oh, I'm supposed to eat 1400 calories or 1500 or whatever it may be. And they think that just because they plug that number into my fitness pal and they loosely track, then they'll, they'll report back to me or they'll come to me for the first time and be like, well, I'm eating 1400 calories, but are you? Or is it just that's the plan and some days you're good at the plan and some days you're not so good at the plan? Or maybe three to four days during the week, you're great at the plan and then the weekend comes and everything goes out the window and you find yourself just landing back at maintenance overall. And so that can be really frustrating. I refer to that as the diet mindset. I don't want somebody to just mentally be in a diet. They need to physically be in one. Otherwise, all they're going to do is over long periods of time, develop bad relationships with food and body. They're constantly under this belief that they're eating far lower than they actually are. And then when they are honest about their calorie intake, they're realizing, oh, if I literally do track 100% everything that comes into my mouth, wow, I wasn't eating that 1300 calories for two years and not seeing any body fat loss. And I'm not saying that people are lying. I don't believe that they mean to misunderstand what's coming in. I just think it can be very difficult when the body's making these adjustments, when we're getting more hunger signals, when we're not feeling as, you know, full and such, it is really easy for us to just naturally eat more than we realize we are. And so honest cognitive oversight over really how much we're moving, what's coming in is absolutely key. And sometimes we're really good at that. And then other times we're like, "Ah, I don't get what's going on. And I'll challenge my clients to say, okay, are you literally tracking every single bite that goes into your mouth? I'm going to really strongly encourage you before we adjust calories down or introduce more cardio and energy out that I'm going to first really challenge you to 100% keep track and then A week, two weeks later, they check in and it's they're down like a pound, a pound and a half, two pounds. And they're like, oh, wow, I did not realize. It just sneaks up on you, I swear. So it's the first thing when somebody tells me that they are experiencing a plateau, the first thing that I do is actually challenge them on, are you as accurate as you think you are with these calories coming in? Because it is so easy to not be accurate. Um, Whether we're using bad measuring uh, styles or just loose measuring and we're getting, you know, double that size peanut butter on our spoon. Uh, It's just so easy to do, guys, okay? Uh, Before we dive into now, how do I set up a a fat loss phase and a plan? Because that's what we're, that's the direction we're going. How do I set this Not everybody has the means to hire a coach. Not everybody wants to hire a coach. They kind of want to figure this out themselves. And I have experienced both sides. I have really enjoyed hiring some 
really, really qualified individuals to mentor me. That's kind of what I look at coaching as. It's not a weakness, guys. It's I want to learn everything that I can. And I want to make sure that I'm not being emotional about it too, because it is really hard for individuals to not get emotional about their body. It's really, really hard. And those that are really successful at self-coaching are really successful at looking at data as fact and information and not getting their emotions tied into it. I think that that's a really important trait and if in and we can develop that with time. So there are times when I've loved going at this all by myself. There are times where I'm like, Joanne, I'm going to hire a coach. I want to learn more. And so there are pros and cons to both, right? Now, if you really struggle with second guessing yourself over every tiny little thing, I think there is so much wisdom in hiring a coach so you can see their patterns and how they work and then you can begin to learn and mimic them. And uh, every coach at some point, there needs to be levels of education going on. So because at some point you're going to not work with them anymore. And you need to be able to then learn how to trust yourself. So sometimes I'll have clients say, okay, Lens, I'm done working with you in three months. Like, and what we'll do is we'll kind of switch roles in that they'll check in with me, but they'll tell me what they're going to do or not going to do. And it's really cool to just check in with me and say, okay, Lens, this is how things have moved or haven't moved. This is what I'm looking at mentally uh, and emotionally first and then looking at the plan, like how well am I following it? And uh, because like I said, there's a mental aspect of following the plan and then there's the actual like science of getting into a calorie deficit. And sometimes mentally we're blocked and we can't get into that. Cal- like mentally we are facing these blocks that prevent us from really pushing into a calorie deficit. So being able to spot those mental blocks And how to get over them is absolutely key. And then being able to spot, okay, so it's not a mental, emotional, psychological aspect that's holding me back. It literally is I'm following the plan 100% and it's been two to three weeks and pictures, measurements, and weight haven't changed. So now we need to look at, okay, do we need to change the plan? Should we drive calories down? Or will that mentally break you? And if so, then maybe we should drive cardio up a little bit more. And so you have, remember, you have both sides of this this balance scale that you can manipulate. Now, research has shown that manipulating calories in tends to work better for fat loss. So maybe focusing primarily on that being the key driver can be a little bit more beneficial because not everybody has time to be doing like six, seven hours of cardio on top of training four times a week. I mean, usually when people are starting to lean into more of that extreme, we're looking at like they're about to step up on stage for some bikini competition, right? And they start doing two days cardio and their their training as well. and, And that's an extreme, okay? Because these bodybuilding bikini competitions is an extreme sport. I think that people don't 
that doesn't register for people. It's an extreme sport. We go to extreme measures, extremely low body fat percentages, and we don't maintain those, right? Because that's not healthy in the long term. But there's nothing wrong with this short-term mindful approach. But keep in mind that that's an extreme sport. Not everybody has the mind nor body to be able to participate in extreme sports. That's why they're so awesome is because the general population, we don't do that. And that's okay. We don't need to do that, okay? (laughs) A lot of times people think that they'll uh, experience an enhanced level of joy. And usually it's really cool stepping on stage. And then it's almost like this after the stage, the level of joy almost can go down because they start putting body fat back on. They start dealing with things in the mind that they need to have a really good coach to be able to walk them through the mental aspect of that, not just the physical. Okay, sorry, that's a little tangent. Before we dive into this too much, I do, because I really want to get into the meat of it, but I do want to say that today is Monday, June 6th, and today on my training app, the muscle and strength program begins. This is a five-week program. And if your main goal is body recomp or you're around maintenance and pushing into a build, like this is a good program uh, for you to get some uh, more muscle tissue. And it's a full body builder. You can look at it that way. Now, last Monday, my fat loss phase began on the app, the fat loss group and my personal program, which is trained with me, those began as well. And it's not too late to get started. You're a week behind, but progressions won't start on those written progressions, won't start until next week. So keep that in mind. Okay, so now we're kind of at this point where, okay, we understand that we need more cognitive oversight. And if we want to continue to see fat loss, then we do need to track and be far more mindful of what's coming in. So the first step is actually decide how aggressive you want to be and decide your timeline. Because if you are like, okay, I'm going to be super aggressive here. I'm going at like 40%, which is really aggressive. I'm I'm going to start out at 40%. Keep in mind that if you're doing, because I usually tell people, you know, a simple rule of thumb um, is 12 to 36 or 34 or 36 weeks, okay? That's like a simple rule of thumb of of how long a, a dedicated diet phase should be because you shouldn't live in a diet. And I think that there's wisdom, one, in setting a timeline so that you can see the end goal because dieting is hard like we talked about. So if you can really, really focus and say, okay, but it is really hard today, but but just take it one day at a time because the finish line is right there. And you can see that finish line. It is so much easier mentally to be on board. If you're at 40% and you haven't established a finish line, you could just feel like, oh, I'm just starving myself all the time. When does this end? And it can actually put you in binge cycles and end up working against your goals. So what I tell people is, Let's get a timeline down. That's step one. Get a timeline down of, okay, this is going to be hard. Mentally, I'm preparing myself. This is going to be hard. How long can I do hard? Okay, so let's just say 
12 weeks, three months, I can do hard for this dedicated time. Especially when you see like this light at the end of the tunnel, you're not living in a calorie deficit your whole life. You just have to do it this amount of time. I think that is so much smarter than just saying, I'm going to go until I lose 10, 15, whatever pounds. Because sometimes mentally we're taxed. I'm not saying that that's wrong, a wrong approach, that that can work great for some people. But what happens after 12 weeks, you haven't hit that number, but you're just emotionally taxed. And so most people, it's not just one bout of a calorie deficit that gets them to their goals. They actually go through cycles where they cut their calories for 12 weeks. They do a reverse. They sit at maintenance for a good month, two, three, emotionally, physically kind of rejuvenate to get in a good place and then go back down into a cut again. Now, if somebody is needing to reverse and move their calories back up to maintenance because of some biofeedback issues, and this is a podcast for another day, we could do a whole few podcasts on this one, then I say stay there for stay at maintenance for three plus months. If you are just mentally and emotionally taxed and you want to get out of cut, then it doesn't matter how long you stay at maintenance as long as you give yourself time enough to breathe and really feel like you are moving out of the scarcity mindset into an abundant mindset and you're sitting in a really good place and then as soon as you kind of get rejuvenated, you know, mentally, emotionally, then you can go into the cut again. So really get a good timeline. So let's just say we choose this timeline of, okay, 12 weeks, I can go hard for 12 weeks. Not too aggressive because a lot of times when we go massively aggressive at first, and this is where it's really important to know yourself. If we go massively aggressive at, at first, especially when we don't have any skills around tracking calories and such, it can really work against you. So it's probably better to sit at the 20 to 30% range somewhere there, maybe even at the 20% calorie deficit. So more of this moderate approach so that you can be in a calorie deficit, but also you're not so hungry and and hangry and ornery. So it will allow you to just slowly chip away at stuff while you're getting really good at tracking and feeling comfortable tracking. So usually I tell people who have never tracked before, it's smart to start at 20%, a 20% calorie deficit. So that's usually what I tell people. So depending, there's the spectrum. And depending on who you are and what works best for you. Keep in mind, there's no right or wrong. There's the individual and what's right for them. So it's really important that you know yourself and what's right for you. Keep in mind, if you were to hire even the best coach in the world, their first set of like calories and protein, it's it's an educated guess. Okay, so keep that in mind. And they won't be able to tell you how fast you're going to lose weight. People oftentimes want to make this some equation. And although there are some guesstimates about and and educated guesses about how you're going to respond, people don't realize that. Think about a bell curve, right? 
we have the general population that sits somewhere in the middle where it's like, okay, so about 60 to 70% of people, we know how their, their body's going to respond. We have this general idea. But then there's like 15, 10, 15% that could respond really well, really, really well. And then there's the other side of the bell curve where maybe they respond a little bit slower than we had projected. And so it's not always wise as a coach, if you're a coach, to tell a client how much they will be losing uh, every single week. We just don't know how their body's going to respond. Also, it's really, really hard to actually track exact fat loss because the scale doesn't always tell us the full story, which is why we have to use pictures, the scale, and measurements and how we're feeling in our clothes and such to give us a better representation of the changes that are happening within the body, okay? So step one, decide how aggressive you can be, you should be, you want to be, and get a timeline. Step two is finding maintenance. In the show notes, I am going to have a link to my It's a macro calculator, but it's also a TDEE or maintenance calculator. It's going to tell you about what your maintenance is. Don't get fixated on that number. Remember, everything is an educated guess based off of generalized population groups. Okay, so you may fall above or below. We won't know. We're just starting our best guess and we're going from there. So I'm also going to be linking in the show notes a video on an an in-depth video of how to use it so you can really feel confident in using the calculator. Because if you don't watch that video, some people get confused on some things and then I end up answering the exact same question over and over and over again on Instagram. So the first thing is you want to find your maintenance. So let's just pretend that you found your maintenance and it is 2,000 calories, okay? So awesome. You now know the timeline, 12 months. You're going to start. Maybe you have some experience tracking macros. You're going to start at 25%, which I will often, even for myself, I'll start at the first month a 20% calorie deficit. Then the second month, I'll move down to a 25% calorie deficit. And then I'll just see how my body responds, okay? So you found that your maintenance is around 2,000 calories. Awesome. This is just an example. Next, step three is what is the approach that you're going to take? So now you know what your calories are. You are at your maintenance calories, your 2,000. And you know that you want to start out in a negative 25% calorie deficit. So that's going to land you at a 1500 calorie count daily. So that's what you're going to be eating. The next question is macros. Should you track macros or should you just track calories or should you track calories and protein? So I find it very, very important to include at least protein into the mix. So calories are king. 
you get into that calorie deficit, that energy deficit. That is king. But remember, it's not just about losing weight. It's about do we want to be our healthiest selves when we lose weight? And for a lot of us, it's do we want to look our best when we lose weight too? And why protein becomes an important part of this equation is because we experience in our bodies every single day, we experience a constant state of our bodies going back and forth between being anabolic and catabolic in regards to protein. And so we're constantly turning over protein in our bodies. When we get into a calorie deficit, it can really drive us without having a lot of protein and without lifting weights, we can end up being in a negative protein state for the day, a net negative state. And so we will be losing lean muscle tissue. And some people may say, oh, that's not important to me. But it actually is because muscle really is the fountain of youth. I don't care if you want to build your delts or build your glutes or whatever. But if you want to feel healthy and strong, muscle really is key. If you love food like I do, then you will want to eat more after the diet than you want to maintain as much muscle tissue as possible or even increase muscle size. So whether you care about whether you have muscly arms or delts or femininely fit arms or, or glutes or whatever, it that's actually kind of beside the question. If you want to be your healthiest version of yourself, if you really want to age well, if you want to keep your maintenance calories higher as you age, if you want to hormonally be very healthy too, metabolically healthy, then muscle is key. You want to maintain as much muscle mass as possible while driving into a calorie deficit. And so tracking and including protein protein in your tracking is going to be absolutely key. So if we are kind of looking at this on a scale, I would say, well, obviously calories are, are going to be really important, but protein is right up there sitting next to it. Because remember, it's not just about losing weight. It's about being our healthiest when we do it. And also, a lot of us really want to look our best when we do. And that will be through lifting weights and protein. So protein consumption is very, very important. Protein also provides enzymes for a lot of cellular work as well that goes on for a lot of cellular health in the body. So do not overlook protein. It is very important. My suggestion is at least calories and protein. Now fats and carbs are important too, but some people thrive really well only tracking calories and protein. Uh, and, and so you really have to know yourself. Is it going to be too much to track all of it or should you just track calories and protein? Maybe just at first, you just get used to calories and protein. That's your number one. 
And then as you get into it, if you want to continue tracking fats and carbs, then that's something that you can bring in later. Or some people, it's actually really interesting because giving them just calories and protein, they actually don't enjoy that freedom. They want to track everything. And so let's go through each one and what it is and why it's so important. Now, a few things about macros that I find very important to understand. One, every few years, um, coaches kind of recycle this idea that there's a certain macro ratio that works better for certain body types. And it's kind of an, an old school idea that continues to be debunked over and over again. And yet, I feel like some coaches keep recycling it because they think, oh, this will show people that they need me because I know their secret macro ratio. And, and I don't think that they're being deceitful about it. Maybe they just don't know what they don't know. Um, and so maybe they think that there's something to this when there's actually not because it actually has more to do with somebody's training. So if somebody is using training that requires more carbs, they're usually going to feel a little bit more depleted. And so if somebody says to them, well, you have this certain body type, so you don't do well with carbs, don't eat carbs, do low carb diet and tons of fat. But what if that same individual goes into the gym and they're doing training that actually performs better and does better with more carbs, then the person's going to feel like crap during the cut. So macro ratios, when we're really breaking them down, it actually has more to do with the training of the individual. And yes, obviously, some considerations of the individual need to be taken, but their training that they're doing will alter how many carbs that they actually need. So without that being too complicated for you, because I don't want people to take that and try to make this too complicated, I'll give you some really good guidelines. So let's revisit protein. So what should our protein consumption be? There is a actually a ton of research on protein consumption. And the numbers that they've tried and tested are all over the board. And you will hear a ton of different ideas of what's optimal and what people should do. And instead of giving you an exact number, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a range that tends to work with the general population the best. Okay. So if you don't remember from part one of fat loss, my goal is to look through the optimization of everything, all of the research, all of the, some of it is just junk information that's out there. And I'm going to take what actually applies to you and I'm going to give you ranges and the freedom to be able to choose for yourself. So we don't want to be walking around saying every single person on planet earth needs to be eating one gram of protein per pound of body weight because that's not reality, okay? So I'm going to give you a healthy range that I find 
works really well for most people. Okay. And it comes down, protein comes down to two things. One is preference. Remember, we come from a food culture where we eat tons of carbs and fats and very little protein. So if you are just starting into eating healthier, getting more protein in, jumping from that to one gram per body weight could be enough to make you inconsistent and feel like a failure. I think the wisest thing we can do is give people a spectrum to work on and and let them know that that preference and their goals should actually dictate what the number should be. So with a combination of a lot of the research, I've kind of come to this general range that people can actually work with. So I find that 0.7 grams per pound, that's the low end, up to one gram per pound of body weight is going to work really well for the general population. So now let's break down. So you can sit on either side of that when it comes to preference, okay? I tend to sit actually a little bit higher. I tend to sit more at like 1.15 grams per pound. It's a, it's a preference. I enjoy it. I enjoy tons of protein. So keep in mind that there's this range and it comes down to preference. The second thing is it does actually come down to goals too. So if your goal is to just maintain minimal amounts of muscle as you get into this calorie deficit, then you can sit at the lower end of the 0.7. They used to say 0.8. Now they're realizing it can be a little bit lower. But, it, but that's also for people who naturally have lower amounts of tissue, muscle tissue as well. So maybe if you find that you want to maintain and you have a little bit higher amounts, then maybe you'd be at 0.8. And that's great for you, right? If you want to focus on body recomp during this fat loss phase, that means seeing body fat come off, seeing muscle come on then you will actually want to lean more towards the one gram. And that's actually where we get a lot of these blanket statements that coaches will make that everybody does need to do one gram per pound of body because they, they, I see that everywhere. And although it's not true, in some regards, it is true because these coaches are seeing a ton of people come to them. Majority of people are coming to them saying, I want fat loss, I want muscle. Okay, so for the mass amounts of people that they see coming to them, that is actually where they will want to land. So that is your safe range for muscle retention, that 0.7, maybe 0.8 if you have a little bit more muscle tissue. And then the other side is going to be all the way up to one gram if your goal is body recomp. So I'm giving you ranges to work with. So that will be your range. Now, fats. Let's talk about fats next. Because once again, I'm not going to tell you what it should be because it comes down to preference. And then it also comes down to there's you don't want to go below a certain number, right? So you don't want to go below 0.4 grams 
per lean body mass, okay? Lean body mass, not 0.4 grams per pound of body weight, but for lean body mass. So you a, a, a very, very like basic way to kind of figure out a good guesstimate of that number would be if you step on your scale and let's say you weigh 125 and your scale tells me that you are 19% body fat, then you can subtract that 19%. You're landing somewhere around 100 and then you times that by 0.4 and now that's at 40 grams. So that individual shouldn't go below 40 grams on average uh, for fats on a day-to-day basis, okay? So that's kind of their their ground that they don't want to go below. But maybe they enjoy more fats. So maybe, and keep in mind that this is just because that we're given this guide of don't go under 0.4 grams doesn't mean that everybody thrives there either. Like some women thrive more around like 0.5, Like it can just be dependent on the person. So preference is important, but don't go below that. And then the rest can really be carbs. Let them fall where they may. Once again, get onto my macro app that I'm sharing in the notes because it will tell you what your TDE is and you can then choose the percentage or how aggressive you want to go with your cut. And then you can actually, there's a really cool slider that allows you to set your macros where you would feel the most comfortable with. So keep in mind that preference is huge when it comes to being able to be consistent with the goal. If me personally, I love carbs and my training does really well with carbs. So if I were to do a low carb diet, my level of consistency towards the actual diet will probably go down because I thrive with more carbs and I enjoy it. It's a preference for me. So I will tell you this much though, as far as carbs, if you feel like your training is suffering, you don't have the energy for training and you're in like this 20 to 30%, either your training is really crazy and you need to review and make sure that you don't have just a ton of junk volume. But let's say you have smart training. You know it's it's good, smart training. But you are just feeling wiped out. Then maybe, and, and then you look at what you're eating and you're like, oh, I am eating lower carbs. Well, then maybe you want to adjust the protein down, or excuse me, the uh, fats down a little bit and the carbs up and see how your training feels. Oftentimes I'll do this with my clients and they come back saying, oh, my training is so much better with the additional carbs then now. And that's always a great sign. Now, sometimes people are like, well, I don't, I need more carbs, but I don't want to adjust my fats. I hit my fats. I nail my fats every single time. Well, then think about this. Maybe if that person is sitting at one gram of protein, maybe bump that down to 0.9 and push the remainder calories over to carbs. So that way your calorie count stays the same, but your carbs um, 
it can increase. So there's a lot of different ways to go about this. Now, with all that being said, I did have some questions that came in and hopefully I've actually answered a lot of the questions. Like some people are asking, well, what should my TDE be? Well, you're going to find that in that macro calculator. One person said, I have stubborn pooch fat. It's a trouble spot. So trouble spots are, they're usually the last place we lose body fat, which is why we've referred to them as a trouble spot. So you really have to do uh, a few things. One, you have to make sure that you are in a calorie deficit and that you're having consistency. But let's say you do this for 12 weeks, you've been really consistent, you've been on point and you're not dropping in that trouble spot, then more than likely that trouble spot is going to need a few rounds of dieting to be able to minimize it. So that is really important to understand. So this person, let's say they did 12 weeks, they were really, really good, they dropped a bunch of weight but still didn't get that trouble spot but dropped it everywhere else. We do a quick reverse up, we set up maintenance for a few months, then we drive the calories down again. And hopefully at that point, we'll be able to get a little bit more off of their lower abdomen. It might take a third round. Some of these approaches take time. They are not going to be this three months, bam, you're out of it, right? Um, How aggressive are you initially with cutting calories? So I feel like I've already answered that. I feel like most people do really well at 20 to 30. A 20 to 30% deficit. Now, you have to be careful in choosing your deficit because if you choose too low, let's say like 15, and you're not seeing changes in your body fast enough, well, one, keep in mind, all of us think that we need to see it faster. So join the club. Like seriously, we all think that. So have realistic expectations. That's really important. Like I had a client check in with me today that lost half a pound and she was really sad. And I was over here cheering and she was really sad. And I felt like that was my fault that I needed to be better at telling and giving her expectations. Half a pound over two weeks for her is really good. Or even a a pound over two weeks is really good. The leaner that you are and that you want to keep driving to see a really like fit physique, the slower the scale is going to move, even under more aggressive approaches. So that's really important to keep that in mind. So most people do best at 20 to 30. If you find that at 20%, you're really, really consistent, but the scale isn't moving as fast and you think that you can raise it to 30%, And just make sure that it doesn't work against you as far as like being too aggressive. When you are cutting, do you give yourself an untracked meal um, of date night or something? I generally do, but that actually comes down to what my goal is. So if I have a more aggressive goal, then I won't give myself that. If I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to do a fat loss phase for... 20 weeks, I'm doing a more mild approach so that it's a little bit more enjoyable, then I will throw in that untracked meal with my husband. And it is 100% an untracked meal. So I don't sit there and worry about it. I don't beat myself up and, and, and sneak 
like my scale in and try to weigh things and measure. I don't. It is a complete mental break from tracking. And it's very, very important. And this can really be a tool for success for a lot of clients. Now, some clients, it can work against them because they do this untracked meal and they, they in their minds, they think, this is my last supper and I have to eat everything. And they almost abuse their body by eating too much and they feel so stuffed and so gross. And then it backs up their digestion and then they're dealing with it for days. So be mindful and respectful of your body. Oh, let's talk about cardio because there were a few other questions about cardio. So cardio, I actually believe it's a tool to be used wisely. And much like a hammer, hammer is a tool to be used wisely. If you watch people build a house, they don't use a hammer on every single thing. They use it very specifically with nails. They don't walk up to screws and start hammering and 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 doors and start hammering and all of these things and just start hammering. And sometimes I actually feel that that's what people do with cardio. They get really excited about this hammer and they just go to town like my two-year-old would, right? It's like, I'm just going to hammer everything. It's like, oh, cardio all day, every day. That's the answer, right? More cardio. Um, and, and it's not. So interestingly enough, most people who have really good success with their physiques over long periods of time, and they have a mental and emotional really good standing with their body, they optimize weight and walking. Like that's it. Weight and walking. So um, I try to do daily walks and they are so, they are so good for my mind and body. So anyways, that's just a side note. I, I really love walking. And so a lot of times with clients, I will just say, let's start out by getting daily walks. Like, I don't even care if you do it with your family, you take your dog for walks, just, just daily walks. And let's get into a calorie deficit. Let's track those calories. Let's train smart in the gym. Let's introduce daily walks and see how you feel and how things are going. And a lot of times it's really cool and exciting to watch them just really thrive. And they're seeing the fat loss that they need and they're not doing excessive amounts of cardio. Now, sometimes people are like, well, I want to get in and get out. Just make this really fast, be really aggressive. Then we'll start with like two to three sessions of cardio a week. And then we, as the cut continues, we build on that. So then we'll start introducing after a month, we'll review everything and see how everything's moving. And then we'll reintroduce more cardio if needed. Sometimes when they've hit plateaus, I, I touched on this a little bit, I'll look at, okay, well, it's been two to three weeks. We really are seeing a plateau in pictures, measurements, and weight. So what part of this scale can, can we manipulate? And I'll talk to them. How are you with foods? Do you feel like if I push foods down, it's good? And they'll be like, don't, don't take my food. Like, you know, they'll, they'll fight for that. And some of them are like, no, 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 we can go down. I'm like, awesome. Okay. So I'll push the food down and I may not even introduce more cardio. I just look at both sides of the scale and I say, what can we do? What's great about this is it's just a very practical, non-emotional approach. I feel like most people, when they try to self-coach, they're not practical. They don't look at information as data. They are highly emotional. And so 
they'll go like two days without the scale moving down or seven days. For some reason, people think there's something magical about seven days. They'll go seven days without the scale moving and they'll think, oh, now I need to do cardio every single day and I need to eat nothing. I need to drop 300 calories. And they get very, very emotional. And remember, it's just data. And if you can look at your body as if you're looking at somebody else, that is going to be absolutely key. So ask yourself, what side of the scale can I manipulate? Can I increase cardio? Would I enjoy that? Or would it be just adding one more thing that I just can't do? So, okay, I won't increase cardio, but I'm going to drop calories 50, uh, 75, and I'm going to see how that works over a two-week period and see how I'm feeling, seeing how things are moving. So I really hope that I have answered a lot of your guys' questions. I got so many questions when I asked, what do you guys want to know? And I feel like this approach answered most of them. So please let me know if there are any others that I can help with. But just keep in mind, keep it simple. Don't be emotional. Look at it as data. What side of this energy out, energy in can I manipulate? And really focus on how can I make this this is fun. This is a challenge. It's hard and it's challenging, but I can do hard things. I can take this one day at a time. I can make, and I always love thinking about the Lindsay of tomorrow. I can make the Lindsay of tomorrow really proud by acting in today's Lindsay in a way that will set her up for happiness and success. I can, I can do something hard today so that tomorrow she doesn't have to, or so that tomorrow she'll be like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad she did that. So hopefully this discussion has helped. Thank you so much for joining me for the Lifting Lindsay podcast. If you have any questions, please feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. Follow me at Lifting Lindsay. You can also go to liftinglindsay.com to see coaching options as well as information on my training app. If you need optimized training, if you don't want to have to worry about figuring out what to do in the gym, let me do all the hard stuff for you. You just get in there, work hard. You guys have a wonderful week.